shining a light on podcasts and videos that have caught our attention. The Spotlight with Jen Spiker. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. With another state election upon us and the eyes of the nation on the state of Queensland, one of the issues in play is around the positioning of our political parties around drug use. Now, the Queensland state election is on this Saturday. And of the major parties, just to quick flick through uh, some of the positions that have been surveyed and uh, to give you an insight into where the parties stand. So the Palaszczuk Labor Party... Their position is to examine the use of marijuana for the development of a Queensland hemp industry. Now, I know that'll be happening in other states as well. The Greens would remove any prohibition on growing cannabis or uh, for recreational or medicinal use. The LNP position, led by Deb Frecklington, that's the alternative government, the opposition government, vying for election on Saturday, They're opposed to the decriminalisation of illicit drugs. And there are a bunch of other parties too. Just to mention though, One Nation upholds the right of Australians to access medicinal cannabis that may give them a quality of life and life itself. So there are all sorts of positions on where the parties stand ahead of an election. It gives us an opportunity to get some insights today because there has been, as you'll know, a real fervency to unleash cannabis as a medicine fueled by the relentless propaganda machine. There are lots of anecdotes, yet the scientific bodies charged with ensuring public safety, like the AMA and the TGA, seem to be bowing to public pressure, according to relentless social media consensus. So how do we navigate the drugs issues ahead of a state election being watched by people all over Australia. Well, Shane Varco is joining us once again today. He's the CEO of Dalgano Institute, one of the 270-plus member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane Varco, a special welcome back to 2020. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here again, Neil. Thanks for having me. Hey, Shane, uh, cannabis decriminalisation, uh, mm-hmm. it's under consideration in a number of states, and here we are on the... Uh, on the eve, really, of a election in the state of Queensland. Uh, what are your thoughts for what's been happening around the Australian states and now what Queensland voters might take into consideration when they're casting their vote on Saturday? Uh, what do you think is happening around the nation? Look, I think you're right. Your opening remarks, I think, were spot on, Neil. Uh, there's there's certainly a strong propaganda push, and it is propaganda. I don't mean to, to be pejorative in that use of that term. When you've got anecdote that's been weaponized by social media to <laughs> to parade something that is clearly evidence-based, clearly a problematic issue, and saying that this is all fine, let's just get on with it, and, and here's a story to back my, my position. And when science starts bending to that, we've got problems. Well, this happened 160 years ago, 150 years ago, 130 years ago, 120 years ago, even 75, 80 years ago, and we found there was problems that issued from that kind of mentality. That's why AMA and TGA and such groups exist to ensure that we don't end up going down rabbit holes at, uh, into Alice's Wonderland. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to uh, marijuana as a medicinal product, there's lots of things going on. That's a separate issue for the recreational 
side of it. But if I could speak to the decriminalization slash depenalization and or worse still legalization, I think it's really important to understand that the we've not had a war on drugs in this country at all. And the idea that we can't arrest our way out of this problem is, is in fact, I agree with, but we certainly aren't going to be able to treat our way out of this mess either. In fact, that rabbit hole is deeper and more expensive than the than the supplier and reduction model. Having said that, um, the 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 law that currently exists, which is is it, which are good laws, are not being used under the national drug strategy for the most beneficial effect that they can be used. I think that's one of the real issues that we continue to to posit in the, into the marketplace is that the judicial educator, which is what the law is supposed to be, is supposed to educate us away from destructive self-harming and community harming behaviours and models into something that's more helpful and more and more effective. So retasking that law, not in a punitive context, we're going to punish the drug user or lock them up, but retask it to help them exit drug use and find better way forward. That that rehabilitative and rehabilitative and recovery mechanism is far more useful. So that, there's a couple of different aspects there. Certainly the, the medicinal, so-called medicinal aspect of cannabis is still up in the air. We need to talk at length about that today if we can. So issues here around when laws are not enforced. Uh, when laws are Correct. not enforced, uh, we've seen this uh, time and again. I mean, uh, other big social issues and uh, listeners will be familiar with abortion or uh, prostitution. Uh, when laws are not enforced, it's an open door for changing the criminal code and uh, for updating those things that uh, really make it an irrelevance. So when laws are not enforced, we're in for change, aren't we? Well, that's the idea. I think one of the issues when you first deem to normalise a mechanism or a process, what you need to do is is you you disempower the existing framework. So what you do is, you, as you've said, Neil, you simply don't enforce. You wink at things, you turn a blind eye, or you, you target only specific areas. And after a while, that tacit permission model, that default permission model, begins to creep into the psyche of the culture. And they say, hang on a minute. I don't get in trouble, you know. I can, for example, I can drug and drive today, get done for drug driving, rightly so, and be penalised, lose my licence. But in most cases, not all, but in most cases, there'll be no further action, criminal action against me. Now I've taken an illicit substance, and I've got him behind the wheel of a car as well. Now we saw what happened in Victoria with that uh, those two ice-using drivers, and one being a very wealthy one who mocked the police and and is in is in um, in shame as a result, and should be. Uh, but the truck driver who killed them all was an ice user. And again, the idea of, oh, I'm just using this to help me stay awake and, and whatever. And all these things have added to the permission model, which adds to then, oh, well, people are doing it. We've unleashed it, tacitly unleashed this stuff. And then all of a sudden we've got this, this activity in play. And we go, oh, well, it's becoming more normal. The laws aren't relevant anymore, so let's change them. Now, that's the normalisation mechanism. Everybody knows that. Anarchists have been using this globally for for millennia to, to, to introduce changes to the law. The old, the old legal adage still stands, Neil. Laws don't change society. Society changes laws. So it's about setting up a case to undermine best practice, which is the laws that stop us harming ourselves, and then to introduce mechanisms to say, now you can play with this, and if you do harm yourself, well, we'll fix the problem later. Don't worry about it. And someone else who's not involved in the activity ends up paying for that. Okay, laws not enforced. So the platform of an incumbent government actually changes the fabric of society because uh, what's 
what is enforced and what is not enforced uh, creates what you're calling here a permission model. Uh, mm-hmm. Shane, a per- permission model means uh, permission to use drugs because we've got a soft stance on those. Pretty much. Look, uh, it's interesting if anyone cares to look and the Howard era government, and not to hark back to a conservative model, but they actually decided their tough on drugs stance in uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, and we saw a 39% decrease in drug use. Now, they actually uh, instituted the uh, a parliamentary, national parliamentary committee hearing on the winnable war of drugs, and the, and the large document that came out of that, and again, dealing with the outcomes of the current illegal drug use, was, was distressing and breathtaking in its distressing nature. Uh, the harm's being done by people and that, those who are non-drug users and harm's being done to them. And that winnable war on drugs was commissioned by, by the Senate and they said, we can change this if we change the way we focus. And again, talking about not using the law in the punitive sense, but retasking it as a educator, not a, not a punisher. And then seeing that change, that 39% decrease, even before that report was released now, uh, unfortunately, in that instance, the, uh, the the Rudd government came in 2007 and just basically shelved the entire project, just put it away, and went back to a, a fundamentally business as usual default to harm reduction, which is basically people are going to use drugs. It's a health issue. Let's just try and fix it as we go. And, of course, we've just seen an increase, again, 22% increase in drug use as a result of that mechanism. So we know permission models are, are one of the key drivers to behaviour. We, we know that. And, and uh, governments that actually, it's not about going tough, oh, I'm going to pay out and drug use. No, no. We're going to do what is best practice health, best health practice for our community, for our families and for our children. And drugs do not fit into that framework. So we need to work to see that change. Well, uh, listeners might like to comment on that issue around uh, legislation. And, of course, uh, being on the eve of a state election, these things are in play for the state of Queensland. You might have your own thoughts. Uh, we'll open the talkback lines on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. If you have a question or a comment or a critique on that, you can also respond to a Facebook question that we're asking today. The question on our Facebook page says, knowing the health and social effects, should marijuana, cannabis, be decriminalised? You can respond there at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's come to this medicinal marijuana for a moment here, Shane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland have all taken part in some clinical trials for the use of medicinal Mm -hmm. marijuana. Uh, That's, again, softening the opportunity for starting up something here, which would become then under the guise of a commercial enterprise. Uh, What are your thoughts around uh, this sort of medicinal marijuana and the uh, the likelihood of uh, of even here a a, a a legalization well again this is where it becomes the, the blinds are blurred now if there is therapeutic potential in cannabis and look there is therapeutic potential we've seen it even with uh, uh, medicines cannabis based medicines that have been on the market under our PBS I believe for at least 25 years one of those is called Sativex which is, uh, and again, none of, these, none of these medicinal applications or therapies are curative in any way. They just alleviate and or assist in, obviously, situations. I think Sativex, correct me if I'm wrong, those out there have more expertise in the pharma, pharmacological space can correct me, but Sativex is a, a treatment used for those going through chemotherapy, obviously end of life, uh, and what it does is increases appetite. There are 
a number of medications on, on that market for that. But there's also recently released Epidiolex by GW Pharma, who did the due diligence, who did the 13 years of research to come up with a, a formulation uh, that has been FDA and TGA approved, as I understand it, TGA approved, uh, FDA approved at least, for that very small window of those incredibly distressing uh, that condition called Dravet syndrome epilepsy, which is the one where children fit horribly for long periods of time. It's, it's, and that's what sparked a lot of this going on. And of course, backyard, uh, you know, quacks were dishing out their own formulas of this. And GW Farm have done the right thing here and, and got it properly, uh, properly uh, monitored and properly clinically trialled and pro clinically released through proper mechanisms and through prescription. Now it is a, get this, it is a fourth line treatment, so not a first, second or third line, and its efficacy is about 25%. So it's not a great medicine. And that's the difficulty with cannabis and all the, the so-called miracle claims that have been around for <laughs> millennia. None of them actually materialize. And the entourage, sorry, the, uh, the placebo effect is quite interesting with this, which I won't go into today. So we have no problem with proper clinically trialed, double-blind placebo trialed medicines that are vetted as with GW Pharma, for example, using them and others, other uh, I think Pfizer's got their own version of, uh, of another product. That's fine, but self-manufactured medicine for self-medicating purposes is incredibly dangerous, as we've seen in the history of this. And one of the reasons why cannabis and cocaine and opium were all put on scheduled list and banned because the side effects and long-term harms were shocking. And without proper medical supervision, these drugs are quite dangerous. So again, um, the idea that this is a new industry we're going to have these great curative and and therapeutic uh, capacities from. It's just not in the evidence. The literature doesn't support it. The science doesn't support it. And look, just interestingly, we've talked to and spoken to a number of, uh, sorry, spoken to a number of politicians. Early in this year, we did a national tour, as you're aware, and we spoke to politicians all across the country. And most of them are unaware, but some of them actually have bought into um, the notion that this is a all you know, a panacea of all ills. And we spoke to one, in fact, Queensland uh, uh, polit political uh, ad adherent, and sorry, party member, and they were you know, sold on you know, the curative powers of marijuana. But when our doctors challenged the, the research, there was no research forthcoming, just anecdotes. And then we asked, well, what cured the person of their, their condition? Oh, cannabis did. And then they said, so there was no surgery. Oh, there was surgery. And there was no other medical intervention. Oh, yeah, full hospitalisation, full treatments on several issues. And then we added our own cannabis on the side. But they attributed any well-being to the cannabis. So it's interesting that anecdote has got so much traction. And, and again, if you've got celebrities backing it, you've got newsreaders continually supporting it, and so-called influencers saying, oh, parents know best and get out of the way of, let, don't let pharmaceuticals get in the road of good medicine. All these kind of rants. It's surprising in 2020 with the science that we've got available to us that we still are being manipulated by emotive anecdotes, not science. Emotive <laughs> anecdotes. And uh, as you say, uh, just to sum up what I think you're saying here, Shane, it's not a panacea for all ills as what those anecdotes tend to promote. But as you say, a fourth line medicine. In other words, there's three other higher, better treatments that, uh, that medicos would do first uh, in those sort of treatment for those issues. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. 
Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You can respond on Facebook asking the question today, knowing the health and social effects, should marijuana cannabis be decriminalised? You'll find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Our special guest is Shane Varco. He's the CEO at Dalgano Institute. We know there is a state election on this Saturday in the state of Queensland. We mentioned where the major parties stand on illicit drugs, according to some surveys that have done with those parties on their platform position. Shane, let's touch on the idea that that you know there are there are lots of claims. Uh, you know, the cure for Parkinson's disease or, uh, you know, for glaucoma. Uh, you know, we talked about the idea of a panacea for all ills and uh, you said, hang on, it's a fourth tier uh, medicine. It's not something that you would choose first off the shelf. Uh, what are your thoughts on, do you have some sort of uh, insights here around perhaps applying that to some of these conditions like, say, Parkinson's disease? What are your thoughts here? Well, look, yeah, it's, it's quite complex. And, of course, one of the difficulties with, um, and let's go into all the science behind this, and, and the misrepresentation of cannabis is because we have a cannabinoid system within our, our bodies, CB, CB1 and CB2 receptors. And, the, and the, it's just a, mis, a misusing of the term and the name. So we people think that, oh, it's, it's natural. In fact, it isn't. And uh, you'll see a lot of data on our websites. In fact, we've got reams and reams of data about concerns around this product. But, for example, it, what, what cannabis seems to do very well, and as I said, the placebo effect, is it makes you, you know, feel better, but you're actually only getting worse. For example, um, glaucoma, uh, which about which was you know, the standard line, which the pro the, the pro cannabis lobby were were dishing this out, you know, over a decade ago. That helps them by glaucoma, which is eye pressure. And what they found that the glaucoma, uh, the Society of America, came out quite clearly and said, no, this is not good for your eyes. In fact, what happens, as we understand it from the medicals, medicos who deal with this. Is that when you, you use THC, obviously laden cannabis, what it does is it does reduce the, the the pressure on the eyeball, but then it bounces back harder than it was previously. So you have to use again to bring it down again. So essentially, they're talking about six to seven times a day you have to be using THC laden cannabis, which is the psychotropic toxin. So you're essentially stoned all the time. Whilst you're not fixing your eye pressure, in fact, all you're doing is is, is adding to its, its its state of being worsened. So it, that's that's one of the issues when it comes to to um, Parkinson's disease and and particularly mental health issues. The idea I I feel better, especially with psychosis, mental health, anxiety, depression. Uh, we know now from the science that's in it's across the board. This does not help with these conditions. It only adds to them. Again, I feel better, but I'm only getting worse. Just like in the early days of cocaine use, marijuana use, and opium use in the 19th and early 20th century. I mean, I feel better uh, because I've had the, you know, so if I'm feeling better, my I am better, but my symptoms aren't being dealt with and certainly my condition isn't being dealt with. It's only being masked. So again, we've got some real concerns here. Uh, even with pain, for example, the pain issue, and it's very subjective. And again, the placebo effect is very important. Because, again, again, people uh, say, oh, marijuana has fixed me. And in some instances, as with the Dravet syndrome epilepsy, this fourth-line treatment does work for some people. So I'm not saying it's pointless. If it was pointless, they wouldn't do it. But the National Health Service in England actually, uh, 18 months, two years ago, I think it was, they stopped using cannabinoid-based or cannabis-based pain relief because it was too expensive and it was, uh, wasn't 
efficient at all in what it was supposed to do. So again, cost efficiency outcomes. I'm not saying it can't benefit one or two people here, and that's not the argument. But then to, to make sweeping claims and unleash it as a, a again a, a panacea is just irresponsible. And we can go into lots more data on cardiovascular issues, uh, as you said, Parkinson's issues and things like that. It just worsens conditions. It doesn't add to them. So okay. again, yeah, go on. Sorry. I was going to say, well, if you're stoned, you're going to feel better. But what you're saying is the condition is still worsening and uh, the placebo effect, something to take into consideration. Talking about, uh, you know, cardiovascular disease, uh, let's talk a little about depression, anxiety and suicide, because uh, this is another issue. Some people say it's going to be good for uh, people who are suffering depression. I wonder if there's any uh, studies you can point to that might give shed some light on that one, Shane. Oh, look, we've got a number of studies on our website, you know, and please, I encourage people to go there. We don't, I don't want to just bang on with my data here and convince you in a five-minute radio interview. I mean, it's, it's ostensibly it's just like another anecdotal session of a person who may be, who's perceived to be against marijuana. That's not what we're saying. We're here for best public health practice. That's what we're here for and, and for the best well-being of our community, including and specifically our children. And they're the ones who are going to be suffering the most from this. Now, when it comes to depression, anxiety, suicide, mental health, and PTSD, which is a new one that's really starting to fly around here, is that um, they, they are working with particularly hard, um, hard, to, hard to move, hard to shift is a better word, PTSD. They're working with psychedelics now um, in, in, in therapeutic contexts, of course, again, with, and which is proving to have some worth. But the evidence is in now on, P, on marijuana PTSD in fact, it makes it worse. The science evidence-based clinical trials said there's no evidence that improves PTSD, and those, again, anecdotal claimant, keep using it, the same principle applies. You stop using the cannabis, the PTSD returns. It doesn't actually help you move out of that space. And so the science on this is that it doesn't work for PTSD at all. When it comes to depression, again, without going into all the levers, the, the, the biomechanical levers on this, we now know that it doesn't help with uh, with depression. It, again, masks it and, it and it creates that ongoing problem. Of course, like any therapeutic tool, that uh, that doesn't that leads to a continual uh, reliance on it, then the reliance becomes a dependency, and dependency becomes can become an addiction. And before you know it, you're just in a space where you're not actually getting better, but in fact you're failing in other health areas as well because you'd simply overusing a, a product that's not working for you. So again, we get when people are desperate and then the whole, this is the difficulty about the self-medicating models that exist at the moment. I feel bad, I use weed, I feel better, so that's the proof I need. And unfortunately, you can do that with any number of products. You know? And again, because all drugs are idiosyncratic in themselves and the biomechanical uh, faculties of the individual are all idiosyncratic as well, the mixes can be horrendous, they can be beneficial in the short term and long term harms come. And it goes on and on. That's why we need robust, thorough clinical trials on all these things. And that's where science can't let us down. We can't have TGA and AMA bowing or lending into pressure because um, of certain anecdotal and also even science that's brought together by, often by the pro-drug industry, which is also concerning. It has to be independent. Shane, Anne says, responding to our Facebook question today, marijuana is often a first step to further chemical dependencies, many of which are life-destroying. Much more peer-reviewed research required. I imagine there is already a lot of uh, peer-reviewed research on the issue, but what are your thoughts for someone like Anne? 
I concur with that. I think the, the argument, of course, the pro-drug advocates, including you know, groups like Normal, N-O-R-M-L, uh, they, they were one of the earliest proponents of this and uh, been pushing hard ever since. Uh, they, 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 the, the gateway theory uh, they, they, that was thrown up you know, well over a couple of decades ago, and it spans back and forward, and it's been arguably, depending on who you talk to, proven or disproven. The bottom line is now with you know, the science is absolutely clear what the use of cannabis does, and particularly at an early age, and alcohol as well, interestingly enough, and alcohol is a real concern for young brains, is what it does is kicks into play, using lay terms, mechanisms of the brain of reward response. Um, we're doing a series of resiliency called the Humpty Dumpty Dillon, which we've spoken on, resiliency building enterprises for young people, helping them understand the science behind being resilient and how drugs undermine that. But the issue that, that comes out of that is that it does open them up clearly to other substances. And we now know from uh, even uh, Judge Roger Dive of the Sydney Drug Court said decades ago, he said, I've never met a heroin user yet that didn't start with alcohol and cannabis. And that was his statement publicly. I've never met one yet of any higher-end drug user more that didn't start with cannabis and marijuana. And yeah, I'm sure there are those. And we know kids who have jumped from from uh, alcohol straight into eckies and straight into uh, ecstasy, sorry, uh, and, and other, other higher-end drugs like stimulants like um, crystal meth. But, again, we've got this, this, this very real reality that says that cannabis, oh, it's harmless. Okay. But it's not harmless in any way, and it also adds to this gateway effect. What it does is opens up the brain to whole new um, areas of engagement. And you can respond to that Facebook question today as Beverly has done and asked a question. So she says, no, the long-term detrimental effects are well documented. Why can't we have a hemp industry without legalising marijuana? There's an interesting one for you. What are your thoughts for Beverly? Look, I think there's a great statement, Beverly, and I think it's a valid one. I think hemp as we as for the listeners who perhaps aren't aware, hemp is a strain of, of cannabis which has has to have less than zero point zero three percent THC, which is tetrahydrocannabidiol, which is the delta nine, sorry, which is the the cannabinoid in cannabis that gets you high stoned. So we've had a hemp industry that's in in some small part that's worked for a while. Uh, it makes clothes and rope and and different things like that, which is great. That's fine. And we think there's a lot of value in that. The difficulty with, uh, if that's all that's in play, that can still work. But what we're finding internationally and some of the research that's coming out of the States is that when when you start mixing the idea of having other hemp products uh, grown, which which have high THC or THC in them, cross-pollination issues come about. And what we're finding now, just a long story short, is a lot of formulations that are supposed to be hemp-based, and, and particularly if you're looking at some of the supplements that are throwing around the market at the moment, uh, like CBD, which uh, which is, again, another feigned uh, panacea, is that THC is more than 0.03%. So unfortunately, there are trace elements that are, that are unhealthy and quite, uh, quite dangerous that are appearing in that. So again, keeping those industries completely and utterly separate is an important dynamic, and certainly... From a, from a clothing and from a, a rope perspective and those kind of things, these are a good product. As far as ingesting in human consumption, that's, that's, that's another conversation which is a, a fraught with all sorts of 
research issues at the moment, which I don't want to go into. Okay, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Kevin, who is in North Queensland. Hi, Kevin. Welcome along. Yeah, how you going, mate? Good, Kevin. What are your thoughts you for go. our conversation? Uh, yeah, my, que- my, my question is the use of cannabis oil in anointing oils for people to be anointed when they go forward for healing. Okay, well... Is there any... Is there any, is there any uh, you know, any, um, any, because uh, apparently it was used in biblical times, but it's been, uh, it hasn't been used uh, in the, the modern anointing oils that we use in churches. Uh, let me uh, try and address uh, that issue. I suspect that oil that was used in biblical times to anoint people, and uh, we talk about anointing oil as being a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, that would have yes. most certainly been olive oil, and uh, that's the sort of thing that uh, you would find uh, uh, you know, prevalent in the Middle East. So far as any sort of healing or medicinal value in that sort of cannabis oil that might touch your skin, perhaps you've got a, a thought or two here, uh, Shane. Well, again, I'm not sure that that fully sure of that context, but certainly uh, you know, the dermal dermal infusion of any product. Uh, again, I, I I don't have enough information. Sorry to to to. to I'm not trying to avoid the question. I just don't have the information. The dermal uh, the contact with this and how much that does infiltrate uh, into the body, uh, I couldn't say. And again, it'll depend on concentrates and all sorts of things. So, topical, uh, uh, topical uh, apl- application of, of CBD oil. I just don't have the information. I'm really sorry about that. But uh, Kevin, that's an interesting question, and I, and I, that's something that I. I might have to uh, investigate a bit more. Thank you for that. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for your call. And uh, there's certainly, as far as I'm aware, no chapter and verse in the Bible that would mention any sort of cannabis oil. So uh, let's assume that biblical times uh, would have used olive oil. And I suspect that when churches have oil on hand for anointing people with oil, if they're praying for them, uh, they're probably typically using uh, olive oil. So, Kevin, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Before we take any more calls, let me just ask you uh, about uh, political parties. Now, I mentioned political positions uh, that are coming up uh, in uh, the election that's on Saturday. Uh, The Labor Party, the Greens, the LNP and One Nation, I mentioned their positions. Interestingly here, and I'll get your thoughts Shane, because the Greens are quite emboldened by some good success that they had in the recent ACT election and are now more than hopeful that they're going to have a resurgence in the state of Queensland and with the thought that they might hold a balance of power in a hung parliament. Now, given that the Greens have an extreme position on just uh, you know uh, decriminalising and legalising uh, all drugs basically for medicinal or uh, recreational use... Where would that leave, and I'm talking in a political sense here, if you're talking extremes, where would that leave Queenslanders? Well, my concern, regardless of political affiliations uh, and, and ideologies, I think policies that endanger public health uh, are really to be seriously looked at. I think the concerns and, and what we're seeing coming out of the US, because this experiment is well and truly on the road, to, to its an abominable failure as it was from the outset, but it keeps being jacked up by propaganda and, and the profits that go to an industry and, and the public health sector is being absolutely hammered by the, the negative outcomes of cannabis use and the, and basically the, the free-for-all that 
uh, legalising cannabis basically does uh, on every member of the society because everybody ends up paying the bill, particularly in a health system that's free. Uh, so what we've got is uh, a, if, if, if you were to say, if you were to run, for example, uh, the LNP, Labor, Green, whoever they are, were to run with a campaign, we uh, promote and we want to completely liberalise and unleash tobacco on everybody. It's their right to smoke, their right to enjoy a cigarette, and uh, we don't want to criminalise that or we don't want to hinder that in any way. What would, the, what would be the response from the public? It'll be, what are you doing? Are you mad? Now, that, but that, that 40 years ago, that would have been, are you mad? And people would have said, you can't do that. 40 years ago, people were saying, well, this is normal. Everyone smokes. This is the way it goes. But public knowledge and public awareness has changed, not just by anecdote, but by science. It took 40, 40 years to really shift the smoking ideology around. And now we're, we're pretending, no, not just taking, like for example, tobacco, which has got very little or to no psychotropic effect, and we're ta saying, to, to, do we want to unleash this new drug, which creates, uh, it's a disinhibitor, creates all sorts of behavioural issues, health issues, harm issues, and we're saying tobacco is bad, but cannabis is good. And so it's fascinating to watch that. And you've got to ask the question of any any platform that wants to promote that as being a good idea for, purely from a public health perspective because they were not even getting into criminal issues but uh, family uh, um, uh, family welfare issues we're not talking about uh, employment issues we're not talking about all those other disasters waiting to happen because drug drug use always undermines those other areas we're just talking about public health and so I, I'd, I'd be seriously stepping back on that issue from uh, any platform that promotes uh, a public health nightmare, which is what decriminalisation, legalisation will do. Okay, a public health nightmare. And there's a challenge there for listeners. So if you have a Greens candidate and you have an opportunity to ask a question before the state election on Saturday, you might ask them, does your policy mean drawing back all of those prohibitions, uh, taxation issues on tobacco? Because that's where the public health issue on mass is at one 316 to join in our conversation let's take another call peter is on the line from logan in queensland hi peter welcome yeah good morning guys um i just like to um share a little bit of a story if i may in regards to uh, marijuana um i'm a person who smoked marijuana for 42 years as a coping mechanism um from child abuse and what I've discovered over 42 years, at one point of my life, um, I was for decriminalising marijuana. But as I sit here today, um, I can't um, condone um, legal smoking of marijuana because I'm sitting here with lung cancer um, as a result of not only smoking cigarettes, of course, but smoking marijuana. Um, and I'm also authorised to form medicinal THC oil drops for my cancer. Now, there's no healing um, product in, in um, marijuana. There's, there's no healing therapy or anything in marijuana. There is pain relief um, because the choice I have is THC oil, which is a choice of my own choosing, or morphine. 
So I'd like the feedback if that's all right. Uh, Peter, thank you for calling in. And uh, a thought or two here from Shane. Oh, Peter, look, I appreciate your candor, mate. It's it's good to hear that. And, uh, and look, I, I have someone very close to me who is a, almost as long as you with cannabis use, and uh, they are on a court-ordered injection once a month for their cannabis-induced psychosis. They're on welfare. They haven't worked properly for 25 years, all because of weed. Um, so, you know, I'm paying for my, my family member's condition outright because he's, he's certainly not. Uh, and and I, I hear what you're saying. And, again, self-medication, and that's what I'm saying, once you can keep self-medicating, then it gets into that loop. But, unfortunately, you feel better but getting worse, and so your conditions are getting worse. Now, when it comes to the, the THC uh, for pain management, this is where the e- efficacy of pain management of marijuana is very subjective. Clinical trials, as I've said, have shown that it's very, very poor in pain management in most cases. But the placebo effect and... Uh, and, and the idiosyncratic dynamic of individuals and the, the product itself on that individual person can work. It's like Dravet syndrome, epilepsy. Like it's a fourth line treatment, but for those who it does work for, it is a lifesaver. Now, I know some people who have used cannabis uh, oil for, for pain relief, no effect. Others say it helps them. So again, the, the side effects of this, of course, you have to deal with. It's like uh, Sativex used for an appetite stimulant for those with chemotherapy. What it does is it gives you the munchies, essentially. So because people who are on chemotherapy usually usually lose their appetite, can't eat. So what it does is help them eat. The side effects of that are, are quite dangerous. There is there's psychological issues. There are other harms that can be done from the cannabis use to the body. But for the person dying of cancer, they really just don't care about that. And, and unfortunately, the thing you have to be just be careful of, my friend, in this space for your own well-being is be careful of the side effects. You're already aware of many of them anyway. You're self-aware because you've, you've understood that and discovered that in time. But I'd, I'd suggest, you know, and I'm not a medical doctor, but we know from the science that we have right now that prescribing this for pain, uh, there's a lot of side effects and there are a lot of risks. So you need to know and calculate the trade-off between the risks of using THC uh, to other faculties and other parts of your body and the pain management. But I understand the state. And that's one of the anecdotes, unfortunately, that gets a lot of drive. You know, people are suffering. Give them what they need for their pain. Don't worry about the consequences which is really not good medical practice and not certainly not best healthcare practice. Thank you for Excuse me, guys, but what's offered to us as cancer patients is morphine. Yes. Okay, please don't sit there and um, speak all this stuff to me, okay, as someone who's on this side of it. First of all, in me, it has qualities that work. But morphine yeah. in other people may not work either. Of course. Yep. No, Peter, no, Peter no, before I let you go, uh, just uh, to, to touch on something here, because I think you said uh, when you first uh, introduced your own history there, uh, you were taking yeah. this because of an issue of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, that's what you said at the beginning? That's a part of the abuse that I've suffered, yes, that's right. And, uh, you know, this is an interesting connection here because all of these sorts of social ills uh, do seem to interact, and I'm not sure whether you were listening yesterday, but I had a wonderful segment uh, for an hour on childhood sexual abuse and how you address the trauma that comes from that. um, spent 40 years addressing this trauma that's come from this, so somebody who's actually also been on the other side of this, um, this is a lifelong um, illness that we um, carry for the rest of our lives. Some of us will never escape what's happened to us in the past. Yeah, and, and Peter, story, and Peter, what I was going to say is uh, that I've actually had my biological makeup offset 
as a result of the trauma. Now, with the marijuana, that gives you the ability to rationalise. Now, I'm not saying that it's good to smoke on a social level. No. But I think, really, from the Christian side of view, it needs to be looked at seriously for therapeutic reasons. Even God gave all green plants for our use. Uh, there's interesting things you're raising there, Peter, and uh, maybe we can pick up on some of those, but I'll uh, I'll farewell you here. But thank you so much Thanks, for Peter. your call. You, appreciate yeah. you sharing that story. Uh, it's an intense issue, and there are all sorts of things that are connected there. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, the whole idea of, you know, God's green earth and uh, his provision of uh, herbs and and drugs. Uh, I'm not sure whether you come across that in the uh, education way that you deal with things, uh, Shane. But uh, any thoughts there? Just to, to yeah, well, certainly. Just yeah, look, just quickly. Just to, again, we weren't saying that he shouldn't be doing that. I'm just saying there are side effects for THC. We understand that, and he's he's doing what he has to do. And we said that uh, for some, that is a pain management tool. That's why the, the literature does say there is evidence of low level pain management, but it's very idiosyncratic. And as a general pain management tool, it's not advised. Certainly opium, opioids have got their own set of serious issues, which we now know globally. So we're not arguing that space. But, yeah, it's interesting. I think I've said once previously on this planet, on this on this program, that I don't think you'll find God's version, if you want to use that term, of marijuana anywhere on the planet at all. The original, the original strain has been so completely hybridised and manipulated, you won't find it anywhere. And if you did... If you did find it, it would have about one, uh, sorry, about two to three percent THC, and it was as much CBD, so almost neutral, and it would be a self-counselling plant. You wouldn't get stoned, you wouldn't get high, and have very little therapeutic effect. So what we're seeing now is a highly hybridised, manipulated product that is so far from a natural uh, product that it's not funny anymore. It's it's insane. Anyone who tells you different is just not looking at the science. Okay, but but, no, but that's not to criticise what Peter's doing. I understand that. Um, and we need to be looking at healthy and effective therapies that don't have massive side effects in a long-term basis for everybody. And that's all medicines need to do that. We've seen with opioids what happens. But we've got this, um, anyway, this uh, uh, webinar coming up in a couple of weeks. So I really want to just focus on that, if I may. Um, yeah. Let's spend a moment just uh, talking about that webinar because uh, it won't be something that will affect uh, any way that people will think about the use of drugs uh, ahead of this weekend's election. But it is something that you've got a uh, regular opportunities for people to become more aware and educated on these issues. Uh, the webinar coming up on the 10th of November. Uh, so give us an insight just very quickly because I want to take one yeah. more call before we before oh, we yeah, finish I'll up. Just quickly, yeah, look, we, we, we've got uh, two professors and two clinicians, uh, two from the States and two professors from Australia are going to be talking about public health and, and cannabis in your community. Um, it's on our website. You'll see it advertised everywhere. You can click and register for free. Very important. Cannabis uh, policy in your community. What is best practice is what it's called. And, and we really encourage people and particularly uh, governments and people in leadership to really come and listen to the science on this. It's not to denigrate cannabis, not to put it down, but to put out the, the real science on this and get people informed about what is best practice and so they can make intelligent decisions about their engagement with this substance. Okay, let's take one more call. Norman is on the line from Innisfail in North Queensland. Hi, Norman. Welcome. Hey, Norman. Hello, how are you? Good, Norman. Need to be um, very I quick. Ju- I just like... I'd just like to say quickly that personality disorders exist within individuals at any place, any time. Marijuana may expose them at different occasions, but really the treatment is psychology, psychological training and treatment, meditation, yoga and prayer. 
I think that because the Canadians have legalised marijuana for social use, it proves that the scientific arguments against it are a lie. You've got to be careful when you take sides. I think the herb is going to do a lot more good than bad, socially speaking. Under ideal circumstances, the herb is a high. It's a happiness thing. It joins people together, draws them together. It's not addictive. It's not dangerous. It's only the people who take it who are affected probably more by their environment. By okay, their, Norman, uh, need to cut in because uh, need a quick response here, but uh, lots to talk about in what Norman's oh, yeah, saying. Look, there's a lot of statements there that are completely inaccurate. It's addictive, incredibly addictive, physiologically and psychologically. Uh, it doesn't draw people together. We know from all the anecdotal evidence that just you're just uh, having a, a relationship around an experience, not a real relationship with people. And, of course, it creates it's a disinhibitor and incentivizes. So it disinhibits uh, conduct that would otherwise be restrained and incentivized conduct, which unfortunately leads to behaviours that we saw from our previous caller. And we now know South East Queensland has got the high, one of the highest kin care ratios in the country because of drug use. So in other words, children being taken away from parents because of their drug use and abuse of their children. So again, public health, community health, it's not going to be helped by marijuana. Norman, thank you so much for your call and needing to draw a line under our conversation today. But, uh, you know, listeners can hear the sorts of things being shared today and hopefully sheds a little light uh, even when we outline those positions that various political parties are standing for as another state election rolls around, this time in the state of Queensland. Uh, good insights today, as always, Shane. And let me point people to the Dalgano Institute website. It's dalganoinstitute.org.au. There is another website which is particularly good for young people. It relates so well to a younger generation and it's called nobrainer.org.au and you can subscribe there to a newsletter, get the latest updates on how these issues around drug use and, and across the board on a whole lot of different dimensions. It's such a complicated, a complex system of understanding to know what's going on with drug use in Australia. You mentioned the Dalgano Institute webinar that's coming up and you can register yes. there at dalganoinstitute.org.au. That webinar is coming up on Tuesday the 10th of November and that's yep. 10 till 11.30 Victoria time. I imagine that Victoria time? Correct, that's correct. Okay, well Shane, thanks so much for your update today. Appreciate no, your it, insights yeah. and uh, we'll no. do this again sometime very soon. Indeed. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.